Doe in Athens, Georgia. I'm glad that you join us today at Rick Bonfield Ministries uh, for the ministry of the Word. I've been teaching a little four-part series on the book of Acts. This is my fourth sermon, uh, and it'll be from Acts chapter 9, and I'll read the first 20 verses. Acts chapter 9. It's a long reading, so bear with me. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against uh, the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what the Christian church was referred to at that time, whether they be men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Would you pray with me, please? And now, Heavenly Father, we ask in the name of Jesus for your divine presence, for your unction, and for your clarity of thought and speech and hearing that we may all, including this preacher, hear what you would say to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when, when I first really started walking with God, uh, was in uh, 1985, 
About 86, I guess, this preacher came to preach a, a, sermon, a revival, a series of revivals at the church I attended. His name was John Mentor. And uh, he was t- talking about one of the churches that he pastored. And he said that it had an elevated pulpit. And there was a circular stairway inside the pulpit. And when you went up in the pulpit to preach, you had to go through this little door and go around those stairs. And right when you turned, right there on the wall was a sign that said, We would see Jesus. Man, that would be intimidating, wouldn't it? We would see Jesus. A bit intimidating, but that is the goal of preaching, isn't it? And the goal of worship, but is to see Jesus, to experience His presence. Now, we all have thought, I guess, at least I have, and a lot of people I've talked to have, how great it would have been to live back then when Jesus was walking the streets of Israel. We could walk with Him and share life with Him. If we could really see Jesus, then we could really believe. And particularly so after the resurrection. I mean to talk with Him, to walk with Him, to experience what He was really like. I mean, it would be really easy to believe then, wouldn't it? To to have seen Jesus. You see, seeing is important. It's often imperative before we accept something as true. You know, we, we do have this saying among us, don't we? Seeing is believing. Some people speculate about the first thing they're going to do when they get to heaven. Uh, I guess all of us have. There's a popular song today that expresses how many of us might answer that question. Uh, the singer is in heaven, and, and after being offered several options, He replies, well, oh, that's fun and good. He says, but I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Now, that will be incredible. But, you know, when I think about that, we really need to see Jesus now. We really need to see Jesus now so we can really believe. Have you not heard people say or maybe said yourself, you know, I would have never believed that if I hadn't seen it. With my own eyes. Seeing is believing. Isn't it? I want you to listen to several of Jesus' comments on seeing. Pointing to the fact that seeing is more than just the perception of physical objects. So, Because one can see, you see, without really seeing. In Matthew 5.14, He says, Leave them, they're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both are going to fall into the pit. Now, all the people he was talking about had eyes at work. In John 3, 3, he said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Something's got to happen inside of you. In Mark 8, 18, he said, Do you have eyes, but you fail to see? Now, Jesus said these things to people who had eyes, That worked. But the eyes we receive at birth are not good enough to see the more important things in this life. I want to show you some things from the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Now, the first we hear of Saul is in Acts 7, 58, when he participated in the stoning of Stephen 
who was the first Christian martyr. Now Saul became the leader of the persecution of the Christian faith that followed, that broke out all in, uh, in Jerusalem, that resulted in many, many Christians leaving the city of Jerusalem and going to the far ends of everywhere. They scattered out. Now here's what we know of Saul. Number one, he was a Pharisee, which means he was educated in the Scriptures and the Hebrew traditions. He probably spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Number two, he was zealous for God. Now it's evident in his persecution of the church and later work in the church. He loved God and wanted to serve God. And by persecuting the church, he thought he was serving God. But he was, number three, confused. He was not an evil man. He was just confused. You know, a lot of people that are persecuting the church today and, and that we, we treat as enemy, they're not evil people. They're just confused. They don't know the truth. Jesus challenged Israel's long-standing but incomplete understanding of Messiah. And they considered what they believed to be ordained and given them by God. That's the way they understood what they believed. And it was central to their religious order. They got rid of Jesus. But now groups were springing up everywhere declaring that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And then He was indeed the Messiah. And that was challenging the very system of Israel. Their political, their economic, their religious systems were all up in smoke if this is true. They were challenging everything they believed. For, for, for Saul now, he was part of the religious group that were rulers in Israel. So they were challenging everything he believed to be of God, to which he had committed his entire life. He wasn't evil, he was just confused. And number four, Saul's problem was he was blind. He knew the Scriptures, but he was blinded by tradition. Blinded by tradition. And don't think for one minute there aren't people in this world today, good, solid Christian people that are blinded by tradition. I, I hear it preached on the radio and TV all the time. They're blinded by tradition. They cannot see the truth. He knew the Scriptures, but yet he was blinded. You know, Jesus once said to the Pharisees, you diligently studied the Scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. He said, but these are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Saul was blind. Oh, he had eyes. And they worked. But he didn't see. So he didn't believe. Because seeing is believing. Isn't it? Our text is called Saul's Damascus Road experience because he was on the way to Damascus when this happened. It is mentioned three times in Acts. In Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. I want to point out five things about this experience 
And it's taken collectively from all three of those mentionings in the book of Acts. Number one, he was struck physically blind, a condition that lasted for three days. He was totally blind. The second thing, and maybe the most important thing, is he saw Jesus while he was blind. Do you see the irony there? He couldn't see Jesus when he had his eyes, but when he was blind, he could see Jesus. The third thing is his first response. In chapter 9, verse 5, he said, Who are you, Lord? Now keep in mind, the only thing that was said was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responded, Who are you, Lord? You see, Saul didn't know who it was, but he called him Lord. Because in this experience, he recognized a power and authority that he had not experienced before. He says, who are you, Lord, my Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then we get his second response in 22.10. What shall I do, Lord? Not what can you do for me, Lord, but what shall I do, Lord? Saul was willing to do whatever required of him. He knew that acknowledging himself, uh, acknowledging Jesus as Lord, is acknowledging himself as the slave of the one who's his Lord. Number five, the response was, we find in, in chapter 9, verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He started going. When he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, he started going. Now, Saul, uh, the Pharisee Saul, who later used the Greek form of his name when he was ministering in, in the Greek world, took the, the Greek name, form of his name was Paul. He became the Apostle Paul. He goes on to be the most prolific of all the apostles. His writings constitute a significant part of the New Testament. He started many churches in Europe and Asia. He endured great hardship, suffered many things in service to the Lord Jesus, all of which started with this encounter on the road to Damascus, when he really saw Jesus while he was blind. Because <laughs> seeing is believing, isn't it? The late Dr. M.G. McLuhan, was the former associate pastor of Mount Perrin Church of God in Atlanta, when I met him and knew him, he used to drive to Athens because there were a lot of people in Athens that went to that church. He, he was driving to Athens, teaching a Bible study in a basement of some people's home that we were friends of, and they invited us to come, and I went a number of times. Now, he tells the story of John, who I affectionately refer to as Blind John. John was an African pastor. Dr. McLuhan was the president of a seminary in Africa that changed indigenous persons to do ministry to their own people. And uh, John lived in the bush of Africa. 
But periodically, Dr. McLuhan would take a group and they would go out into the bush and they would visit all of the pastors uh, that had been through their seminary that they were encouraging and, and, and uh, supporting. And so they got to John's village and his wife uh, said, well, John's not here. He's out visiting his churches. And uh, John, you see, had gone blind several years before. He'd gotten in some kind of infection in his eye, and he refused to go to the city to get treatment because it would probably take him days, if not weeks, to do that. And he didn't want to leave his churches, so he stayed there, and he eventually went blind. But he still kept going. Now, don't ask me how he made it through the bush without being able to see. I, I don't have any idea, but he, I, I just know that he did. This, this was Dr. McLuhan's testimony. And uh, so anyway, they got to his village, and his wife said, he's not here, but I expect him back tomorrow night. And so Dr. McGoon said, well, if he'll be back that quick, we'll, we'll just wait for him and see him tomorrow. Well, about 3 o'clock in the morning, they're in their tents asleep, and they hear this booming baritone coming out of the bush, out in the wilderness. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. It was John coming home. They got up to greet him, and uh, he said, he and Dr. Mack said, it's us, John, we just come to see you. He said, the Lord told me I had visitors home, so I came home. <laughs> Dr. McLuhan laughed at himself then, and he said, well, John, you could have waited till morning. You didn't have to come in the middle of the night. <laughs> he said, Dr. Mack, it's always the middle of the night to me. I wanted to come and see who was here, and I'm so glad to see you. And Dr. Mack looked at him and said, John, you're really close to the Lord, aren't you? And i tell you when his answer made tears come to my eyes. He said, Dr. Mack, sometimes I can hear his heartbeat. Dr. McLuhan said, John, God's done many miracles through you. Why don't you ask him to heal your eyes? He said, oh, I have. Dr. Mack, I have. But God said to me, John, you see better without eyes than most people do with them. John was blind, but he could see. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. But seeing is more than just physical sight. Seeing is believing, but not in the sense or order that I see in order to believe. But rather they are the same thing. It's absolutely nothing to do with physical sight. We can see Jesus in the Spirit now. But it will not happen until our hearts are right before God. Until we're earnestly seeking God with all that is within us. That we're responding to God as Saul did. What shall I do, Lord? Paul's zeal for the things of God continued throughout his life. As he continued to see Jesus work through him and others in the church to accomplish the purposes of the kingdom of God. He saw Jesus, you see. At work. Before I became a pastor, I was head of the evangelism committee at my church. 
And uh, we had agreed to support a family of Buddhist refugees who came out of some country somewhere in Asia and uh, because of persecution or something. But anyway, they were refugees. They wound up in Athens somehow, and we agreed to sponsor them. And so the missions committee called me, the evangelism chairperson, and asked me if, if I would come talk to them about God. And uh, I, you know, I didn't have a clue what to do, uh, but I told them that I would. So I came there, and I was trying to explain to them, and we did have language issues, but, but they, we could communicate. And I was trying to explain to them that it wasn't us helping them that it was God helping them through us. And that we weren't doing this because we were good people. We were doing this because we had committed our lives to God and God had told us to, to help others understand the things of God. And so I was trying to get them to understand that it was God helping them, not us. And I asked them this question. I said, has Buddha ever done anything for you? Well, they looked at me and they grinned and they looked in there. And the next thing I knew, they were laughing. And I mean, they were falling, <laughs> falling on the floor laughing. And then I realized they were laughing at me. Because I'd be so stupid to think that Buddha could do anything. <laughs> they said, he's been dead for 2,000 years. How could he possibly do anything for us? But you see, I'm afraid that's the mindset of many in the Christian church today. They had an experience once in which they caught a glimpse of Jesus. They were converted. And they experienced the Spirit inside of them. And that sustained them for a while. But they were never encouraged to expect anything further. To expect Jesus to do anything. You see, so Christian faith became and has become for many Christians in the world today believing certain beliefs about God and about Jesus rather than being in a personal relationship with Jesus as a living person. You see, their faith has become dead because it's a dead mental agreement with a certain set of religious propositions about God and about Jesus. That's why it's dead. Those propositions are dead. They may be true. But that's not what the Christian faith is about. The Christian faith is about a living relationship with a living person. Now, they don't believe Jesus can do anything because they've never seen Jesus do anything. They've never heard a testimony about how God did this or God did that. So they don't believe, but after all, seeing is believing. Isn't it? Now Paul's first response was, What shall I do, Lord? That is the response of faith. A response that assumes the Lord will do something. Mainly that He will communicate to us in some way by telling us what to do. 
And then if we will do it, we'll see Jesus working through what we're doing, and we'll see Him changing the lives of other people that we're speaking and ministering to. Then we're going to see Jesus working in their lives as well. I can't tell you something that blesses my life more than anything else is hearing some person that I spoke to, and I didn't—I didn't even know that I spoke to him, did anything, but God did something in their lives. I was teaching the high school class at uh, when this is when I was still uh, still a, a lawyer, and I was teaching the high school class. Now, I didn't know what it was about teaching the high school, but anybody that's been in Sunday school in church now will tell you high school is the toughest class to teach. And I, I, I didn't know if I was getting through them or not. I just kept preaching <laughs> and teaching. And I, I, I gave them testimony about baptism in the Holy Spirit and all that. And Well, anyway, I did that for a couple of years. Then I left to go to seminary. And uh, I, I never got one response. I never got one uh, comment uh, from them at, at all. But about eight, ten years later, one of them got married, still going to the church, and I was invited to the wedding. And uh, this young man came up to me and said, Mr. Jerry, I just want to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, do you remember in our Sunday school class when you gave the testimony about being baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I said, I certainly do. He said, I want you to know I had goosebumps all over me. I thought I was going to come out of my skin. He said, I realize right now that God sure is powerful. You never know. You never know what God will do. But you can see God working. If we'll just talk about what, what is God doing among us. We'll see Jesus working through our doing what He told us to do. And working in the lives of people around us. You see, Jesus is doing stuff all the time. But people don't see it because they're not looking for it. They're not conditioned to expect it. Because like our Buddhist friends, they don't expect Jesus to do anything because He's been dead for 2,000 years. You know, they don't really invest themselves in the resurrection. They don't understand what that means. See, what we need is not just faith. We need expectant faith. We need faith that expects Jesus to do things, that expects uh, Jesus to change the lives of people that we witness to, for Jesus to do miracles among us, to break people in this world out of the secular mindset that's keeping them captive in this world. What we need is expectant faith. Faith that looks for Jesus to do something. Now, I doubt that any of you have ever considered Dennis the Menace uh, <laughs> as a religious icon. But years ago, this newspaper cartoon uh, appeared in the, pic in the paper. And uh, I, I cut it out. And, uh, and saved it. And, and I've used it uh, through the years. I hope you can see it well enough. But it's a picture of Dennis and his little friend sitting in a sled. There's not one flake of snow on the ground. 
It has not snowed at all. They're all bundled up. There are clouds up in the sky, but they're sitting there on their sled. And he said, all right, Lord, let her rip. And that ought to be the way we approach every service we attend, every Sunday school class, every Bible study, every teaching. Every time we're before people and the Word is being proclaimed, we ought to have that attitude, Lord. We're ready, Lord. Let her rip. Let something happen. Let something happen. You see, it is with the eyes of that kind of faith that we will see Jesus. Not a physical form necessarily, but the spiritual reality of the timeless one. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who holds in His hands the keys of both death and hell. The one who gives life and peace to those who revere Him as Lord. The one who heals and reconciles and restores and provides. The one who does things. That Jesus. Have you seen Him? Seeing is believing. Isn't it? Pray with me. God, I pray right now that everyone who is in the sound of my voice would be able to see Jesus. Not a Jesus hanging on the cross that they saw in the crucifix at the hospital today. or Not the the Jesus... They read about uh, in the Bible. But the Jesus who sits on the throne of heaven, the Jesus who is the King and Lord of all, the Jesus who has poured out His Spirit on all flesh, the Jesus who does things, who acts in our world, who changes hearts, changes people, and makes us into the kind and character of people that God wants us to be. That Jesus. Let us see that Jesus. And may He change our lives. May He change the way we live. May He change the way we relate to other people, to our friends and neighbors and fellow Christians, but also to the unbelieving world, even those who may be persecuted or ridiculed the church. Let us see that Jesus wanting to reach out to them, to draw them into the fold. Open our eyes, Lord, the eyes of our heart. We want to see Jesus. We want to really believe. And seeing is believing. Amen. God bless you so much for joining. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I pray this message has blessed your hearts and will help you in your walk with Jesus and your ministry to the world. God bless you. Have a best, a good rest of your day. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me To every generation He gives the joy of His salvation